series through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we find ourselves in chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. I've been mentioning uh, repetitiously, probably to the point where you guys are sick of hearing it from me, but ever since the cleansing of the temple in chapter 11, really what we have been seeing over these last few weeks is this battle of authorities, the battle of Christ's authority versus the authority of the leaders in Israel. And what we have seen is that many of the Sanhedrin, those representatives of that authority in Israel, has sort of come out of the woodwork. We've seen Sadducees, we've seen Pharisees, we've seen Herodians, chief priests and elders doing battle with Christ, sort of having a battle of wits with Jesus. And each and every time we've seen Jesus upholding his wisdom and denouncing the wisdom of the leaders of Israel. Well, here is the end of that ongoing battle, those battle of wits, if you will. For at the end of this passage in verse 34, Mark will summarize there and say, uh, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So here is the end of that battle with Jesus and the leaders uh, within Israel, and he has proven throughout each and every one of these engagements with every representative of the Sanhedrin that he is wiser than they, and that it is his authority that the people are to bow down to. And after this encounter with the scribe, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Uh, So keep that in mind that this is the end of that battle that we've been going through the last several weeks. Uh, With that introduction out of the way, let's give attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we come here to see what all of Scripture is about. It is about love for you with all of our makeup. And it is about loving our neighbor as ourself. And we pray, Father, through the reading and preaching of your word now, you would pour out the love of your spirit into our hearts, that we would do just that, love you with everything that we have, and love our neighbor as ourself. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the year 1929, the University of California football team 
uh, played the University of Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in what was then the most coveted bowl game in college football, the Rose Bowl. And one of the players on the University of California's football team was a defensive nose guard by the name of Roy Regals. And on one particular play, midway through the game, the quarterback for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets fumbled the ball, and Roy Regals picked it up, and he started running as fast as he could toward the goal line. However, about halfway toward that goal line, he glanced over his shoulder and saw that his own teammates were frantically running after him. He didn't have much time to really consider the strange sight. He just kept darting toward the end zone, not realizing that he was, in fact, running toward the opponent's end zone. His teammates eventually caught up with him, tackled him at the one-yard line. And in the ensuing play, the next play, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets would score, which would make the difference in the game. And ever since that play, Roy Regals was always known as Wrong Way Roy Regals. We can often do something with purpose and zeal. We can often run as hard as we can toward what we think is the goal line. But really, all we are doing is running as hard as we can in the wrong direction. What we see here with Jesus' encounter with this scribe is that any reading of the scriptures and attempt to follow God's law, no matter how zealous we are, no matter how much we put scripture to memory, and these leaders did memorize scripture, no matter how hard we try to follow it, if we don't have love, we will be running so hard in the wrong direction. What Jesus gives, this, gives us here in this passage is really what the Bible is all about. And given the context with these scribes, really what all the whole Testament is all about. The 613 laws of the Old Testament, many of which cause us to scratch our heads. The strange stories and odd occurrences, the kings, the priests, the prophets, all of it is undergirded by and directed toward one primary overarching aim. Love God with all that you have and love neighbor as yourself. We can go to seminary, get degrees in in theology, Old Testament and New Testament studies, but if we miss this one chief aim of Scripture, we have learned absolutely nothing. As Paul himself will say in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Love is to be the heartbeat of the Christian. Love is the engine that makes the believer go. It is what undergirds and what all of Scripture is aiming towards, to love God with all that you have and to love neighbor as yourself. And what I want us to see here uh, this morning in this passage is Jesus giving us Uh, showing us three places for love. He shows us the source of love. 
He shows us the law of love, and he shows us the gift of love. So first, the source of love, the source of love. I want us to take note of two sources of love that Jesus gives us here in his answer to the scribe. First, God, and second, self. First, God as a source, and second, self as a source. So first, God. Jesus begins with these words as he answers the scribe, asking him, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, as I mentioned earlier in our unison reading of Scripture, this is a quotation from Deuteronomy 6, which is known as the Shema which is the Hebrew word for hear, which is the first word of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel. The Shema was something that devout Jews in Jesus' day would recite morning and evening. And more than likely, it is exactly what this scribe himself would have recited morning and evening. This is the starting point of love. It is God. God is is the source of love. Notice how the Shema begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then comes the commandment to love. But there is first the call in the Shema to behold the Lord God, who is the one and only God. Beholding God first as the source of love, knowing who it is that is speaking and commanding you to love is first and foremost, and then comes the command to love. We see it throughout the Old Testament when God confronts his people and he's going to give them a command or a charge. He so often begins by telling them who it is that is confronting them and commanding them. Just think of Exodus 20 where God first gives the Ten Commandments. How does the Decalogue begin before he actually goes into the commandments themselves? God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the Ten Commandments, the first six that teach us how to love, excuse me, the first four that teach us how to love God, and then the latter six that teach us how to love our fellow man. But before those commandments are to be heeded, Israel is to behold and know who it is that is commanding them. It is the God of their salvation. It is the God of their redemption. It is the God of love. They must know, and we must know, the God that is commanding us to love him. God who commands to love must be first known as the God who John says in 1 John 4 is love. He is the fountainhead. He is the source of love. Because he is the God for who all eternity has been three persons in one Godhead. How can John say in 1 John 4 that God is love? Because for all eternity, God is a three-in-one God. A father who has eternally loved the son through the spirit and a son who has loved the father eternally through the spirit. 
John 17, Jesus will say, The Father has loved me before the foundation of the world. So before creation, before God even made us, God was love. He did not need us. He did not need creation in order for him to be who he is because he is the great triune God, the three in one Father eternally loving the Son and the Son eternally loving the Father. And Christ comes down to share that love that has always existed with us, his creatures. Genesis 1, 26, God says this, Let us create man in our image after our likeness. God in his triune love, his three-in-one eternal love, creates man to image God. And by imaging his triune eternal love, both in loving God and in loving our neighbor as ourself. He is the source. He is the great three-in-one. He is the Father who has eternally loved the Son and the Son who has eternally loved the Father. Love's source, love's definition is found in God. It's not found from God, as though God gives some sort of definition of love that is outside of himself. He is the definition itself. He is love. And we are to behold him, the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the great three in one loving God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. So we see first the source of love is God who is love, the great triune three in one God. Secondly, we see the self as source of love. We see the self as a source of love. Notice what Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. To have a proper love of others, we must have a proper love of self. But biblical proper love of self is not self-infatuation. It is not narcissism. It's not building up a high self-esteem, as our culture likes to say. Oftentimes, I think of the sort of love that is promoted today. I think of that old Saturday Night Live character, Stuart Smalley. He would look in the the mirror and he would say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. It's not that kind of love. It's not that kind of self-love that we are to have. No, it's a proper view of self and seeing ourselves as the object of God's love, as the image bearer of the triune God. Out of all the creatures of this earth, brothers and sisters, the birds of the air, the creatures in the waters, the creatures, the land animals, and all the creeping and crawling things of the earth, out of all the thousands upon millions of creatures on this earth, God has created us as the apple of his eye, as the crown of his creation, as his image bearers who are to have relationship with him union and communion with the ever-living and ever-loving triune God. 
What is the first thing that God does with Adam when he creates him that he does with no other creature upon creating, creating him? He speaks to him. He enters into conversation with him. He creates Adam. He creates man for conversation with him. Have you ever thought about what it means that in Scripture time and time again, God commands us to pray to him? He wants us to pray to him. God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, that heaven and earth itself cannot contain, wants me to speak to him because I am the object of his love. We are the object of God's love. A proper love of self comes from the knowledge that we are the object of God's love. And we can love properly other image bearers of God when we see ourselves as the special image bearer of God. We can't love our neighbor as ourself if we hate ourselves. I don't know about you, but I am the most unloving person in the world when I am depressed, when I am down, when I am self-pitying. What does self-loathing tend to do? Self-loathing tends to create this shell where you hide yourself from everyone else and you hate everyone else just as much as you hate yourself. But just as we can't hate ourselves, we also can't have an improper infatuation with ourselves because any act of love that we would do would not serve the glory of God who we have been made in the image of, but it would be done to serve our pride and our self-infatuation and our narcissistic view of ourselves. We must have a proper view of ourself in the sight of God who has made us in his image as the object of his love. And that biblical proper view of ourself will give us a biblical proper view of our fellow man who is the object of God's love. And we will seek to love the fellow image bearer as God himself loves his image bearers. So we must see the source of love, which is God, the great three in one God, who is love itself. And we must see ourselves as the object of God's love, as properly the image bearers of God, that crown of God's creation. And then and only then can we properly see fellow image bearers as they truly are, the object of God's love and the object of our love as well. Second, the law of love, the law of love. Notice that this is a command to love God and to love neighbor. This is a command to love God and neighbor. Jesus says there is no other commandment greater than these. He commands us to love God and to love neighbor, which teaches us that biblical love is seen more in action than it is in emotions and feelings. Biblical love is us seeing the object of your love and moving towards that person in loving action as God himself has moved toward us in and through his son, and even dying on the cross for our sins and in order to demonstrate his love. Biblical love is not seen primarily in feelings and emotions, 
It is seen in actions, and we are commanded to love God and to love neighbor. Many of you know, and we talk about it often in this church, that we live in a day today that says, love when you feel like it. Love in our therapeutic world is really oftentimes boiled down to a feeling. And you love so long as you have those butterfly feelings, but once those butterfly feelings run out, it's time to not love anymore. It's time to find a new object of those butterfly feelings. And we don't move towards people in committed love as God himself has moved towards us in committed covenantal love. And let's be honest, we might talk about this culture and sort of criticize it. But if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, we see passages like these. And many times the first thing we say to ourselves is, I just don't feel this love that Jesus is commanding us to have. And we end up getting down on ourselves and beat ourselves up because we don't have the feelings of love for God and love for our neighbor. One of the television shows me and Leah like to watch is reruns of the show Everybody Loves Raymond. And in one particular episode of that show, there is uh, Raymond, the main character, uh, finds his wife Deborah sitting on her couch just crying. And he comes and he confronts her about it and he says, well, you know, why were you crying? And Deborah says, I was just having a good cry. I just wanted to have a good cry. Don't you ever do that? And so then at the end of the episode, you have Raymond sitting on the couch all by himself. He's got some tissues in front of him. He puts on some sad music and he makes sort of a crying face, trying to make himself cry. Of course, he can't do it. He puts on silly music and then dances like a fool. But I think that's oftentimes what we try to do, isn't it? When we think about love for God and love for neighbor, we try to elicit these feelings and these emotions of love for God and love for neighbor. It's why so often music today is Modern-day Christian music really boils down to being nothing more than just love songs to Jesus with sappy music in the background, trying as hard as it can to elicit some sort of feeling of love for God and love for Jesus. But brothers and sisters, God in Christ is too loving to stake our love for himself and for our neighbor on our fickle emotions. He is too loving to stake our love on our fickle emotions and feelings and on our self-involved, self-obsessed, therapeutic age. He is short and to the point. Love God with every faculty of your makeup and love neighbor as yourself. This I command you. What a breath of fresh air. We don't often think of commandments as a breath of fresh air, but what a breath of fresh air. You mean that I don't have to spend my life staring down at my navel, contemplating myself, constantly comparing myself to others. I can simply be God's servant and say, yes, Lord, 
I will love God with all that I have, with all my being, and I will love my neighbor as myself because I am your servant and you have commanded me. I don't have to sit there and contemplate my nature and who I am comparing myself to others. I can simply hear God and be his servant. What a breath of fresh air in our day and age. To love, we must see ourselves as servants who are subject to our Lord, who commands us to love. And the fact that it is a command is loving in and of itself. He doesn't leave us to our own vacillating whims and desires. He rather speaks into the scattered chaos that is our self-involved lives. He speaks into that chaos that is us as Eve and Adam sought to do in the beginning, become our own God. And he says, hear, O Israel, love God with all that you have and love neighbor as yourself. So we see that the love, we see the source of love, that two-part source is the triune God and a proper view of ourself. And we see the law of love, that this is a commandment that God gives to us. And third and finally, I want us to see the gift of love. Verse, 20, verse 32 through 33, we see that the scribe agrees with Jesus. And this response is genuine. Mark says that he Uh, that Jesus says that he answered wisely, showing us that Jesus sees some sort of genuineness in the scribe, unlike the others that have gone before him. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Why is he not far? What we have seen here is that the scribe has rightly recognized the greatest commandment. The commandment will get you into the kingdom of God. He's so close, but he's not quite there yet. Why? Well, this man is still a scribe. He belongs to the school of thought that has been on full display over the last few weeks as we have studied the leaders in Israel. The school of thought that belonged to the Sanhedrin, to the leaders in Israel, is really a two-part process. Know what to do, and then do it. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Know what to do and then do it. And then you will enter into the kingdom of God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love neighbor as yourself. You know that's the right commandment. Now go and do it. But I wonder as you read this commandment and perhaps as I was dealing with the latter point, were you saying to yourself, I know that this is the right commandment, but I just can't do it. I've tried to love God. I go through spurts where I love God, where I'm doing my devotions morning and evening, where I'm praying and I'm just on fire for the Lord, but eventually I end up falling into myself. I go through spurts where I try to love my neighbor. I'm part of church. I get involved. I'm helping my neighbor. I'm helping my friends, but eventually it always ends the same. I end up falling in to myself. Well, if that's you today, brothers and sisters, you have taken the one proper step that this scribe has yet to take, and that is a recognition of our helpless state as sinners before God and his commandments. 
to us. He's got the right first step. He knows what to do. But if he has any chance for the kingdom of God, he must interject another step before the step of doing, which is I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I lack the power to love you with all that I have. I'm selfish. I'm lost. I'm helpless. Brothers and sisters, there is only one man in all of human history that was able to follow that two-step process that the scribes held to, and that man is Jesus Christ. At the cross that Christ will soon meet in a few weeks, as we will see, we find him fulfilling these two commandments in its fullness. He, from day one, has been living his life out of love for the Father and love for his neighbor, and it all culminates in one event at the cross. As he fulfills the mission that his father has sent him on out of love for his father and as he lays down his life for his friends and for his sheep, Jesus Christ is the first man and only man in all of history to follow this law to its bitter end, to its cross-bearing end. If we are to have any hope of heeding the command to love God and to love our neighbor, we must have the love of Christ poured out into our hearts. Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, are you currently bound to that same two-step process that the scribes were bound to? Do you say to yourself, I know all the right things to do, but I just can't get my act together. I need to just get my schedule, my curriculum. I need to get my affairs in order. I need to get the right study Bible, whatever it might be. And then, then I will be able to follow this commandment. Friends, if that's you today, I say to you, you are so close to the kingdom, but you are yet still so far because you do not have Christ. If we fail to interject that step of helplessness before God, if we fail to see the law as convicting us of our sin, meant to, as Galatians 3 says, drive us to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law for us, we will be like an athlete running so hard in the wrong direction. To say that the Bible's chief aim and undergirding principle is to love God and to love neighbor is to say that the Bible's chief aim and undergirding principle is Jesus Christ, who fulfills the commandment in its fullness. If we are to love God and love neighbor as ourselves, we must love Christ. And like a helpless child, receive him as a gift of God's love to us. For to such is the kingdom of God. If we have any hope of loving and adoring the law that teaches us how to love, we must know the forgiveness of our failures and our sins in Jesus Christ, 
who has fulfilled love in its fullness for us. Praise be to God for the sending of his son. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for this, your greatest commandment. Father, we see here in this commandment uh, a contradiction to what so many think of Christianity today, that it is a religion of law, it is a a religion of shame, it is a religion of guilt, that it is a religion that is void of love. But what we see is that every jot and tittle, every single comma, every single word in the pages of Scripture is served for that chief aim of loving you with all that we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves, and how we see that personified in its fullness in God made flesh, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And how we thank you that in these last days, that very spirit that indwelt him, that aided him as he lived for neighbor and lived in service and love for you is now the very same spirit that is poured out into our hearts so that we can follow that narrow path that he led down and love our neighbor and love you with all that we have. Help us, we pray, by the power of your spirit, uniting us to Christ, who is the fulfiller of the law on our behalf, to love you with all that we have and to love each and every one in this room and our neighbor as ourself. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.